Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is made at 3CR Radio in Melbourne and we broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The Border Force Act is an absolutely despicable piece of legislation passed by both sides of Parliament, designed wholly and solely to further shut down the information coming out of both Manus Island and Nauru detention centres, and focuses on both the current and former employees who work in these places. These places have no independent oversight. No journalists are allowed to enter. And when people in the past have blown the whistle, such as Save the Children, on Nauru, they have been quickly shut down or dismissed by the government. Amnesty is not allowed in. And staff who work on Manus must submit their personal phones, USBs and laptops for inspection upon request and their social media is monitored. Civil liberties of staff are non-existent. That's the voice of Margaret Sinclair, a member of the Refugee Action Collective. She's speaking at a RAC event called Defying the Border Force Act, Speaking Out Against Detention Cruelty. In today's program, you will hear from mental health nurse Christine Cummings. Christine was working with refugees on Christmas Island. Christine witnessed firsthand the issues for medical health professionals and their clients when the Border Force legislation came in. Christine has started an online petition supported by her union, the Australian Nursing and Midwives Federation, and also supported by the Australian Education Union, calling for the end to the Border Force Act. But more about that later. First, the Rail, Bus and Tram Union is locked in dispute with Yarra Trams and Metro Rail in Melbourne, taking strike action for the first time in 18 years. Stick Together went down to the rally last Friday to hear from the workers, the State Secretary Luba Gogorovic and the National Secretary of the RTBU, Bob Namba. I'm from 3CR. Can you tell me why you're here today? I'm here because uh, Metro Trains has let the uh, EBA expire. Uh, they didn't come to the negotiating table. We've been trying to get them to the table since April. Uh, when we forced them to come to the table, they didn't come with a fair offer. They're trying to de-skill the drivers. They're trying to split up the network. Uh, trying to erode the conditions that uh, train drivers have fought for for, for decades. And uh, I'm only new to the job, but uh, it's not the job I applied for. Are you proud of people coming out today? I'm very proud of the membership. They were absolutely furious with Metro Trains Melbourne, and it's really telling in the amount of people that are already here today. Now, yesterday there was an interview on uh, John Fain that everyone's talking about. People saying that, uh, you know, it it only takes 21 weeks to train people to drive trains in London. It's more complicated than here. Why should we be... Why should Metro have to uh, put up with this? 
Look, I'd love to do that interview again, and I'd like to tell John Fain that 68 weeks training, if he wants to start debating that, then he needs to actually understand what a driver does. So I suggest he goes out in a cab and actually attempts to do to understand it properly. Uh, the London system is a hell of a lot different to the metro system. We've got a lot of signals that they have to deal with, and I suggest that he gets a, a little bit more informed before he starts attacking the drivers. We're asking for uh, a fair outcome, uh, conditions to be retained and a fair go. The thing about it is that you've been waiting for this to be negotiated. They've allowed this to fall apart. so They absolutely have. We've been negotiating this for over five months. Initially, we only wanted to do partial work bans, but Metro Trains Melbourne were going to dock our members anyway for those partial work bans. Consequently, they've pushed us to a stoppage and the members have united. <laughs> Thank you, Will, and thank you to Trade Thor for again setting up the truck and getting this together for us. I've got to say it's fantastic to see so many members from the Victorian Rail, Tram and Bus Union. From all divisions and from a number of companies across the industry, it's great to have you all here. I also want to mention the other unions. The, the entire union movement has been absolutely phenomenal, backing us in the whole way. So thank you to all our friends. <laughs> For more than five months now, Metro Trains Melbourne have done everything that they can do to try and delay us from getting a fair deal and a, an enterprise agreement that is, that is decent and fair for the membership. Even after the agreement expired on June 30, they continued to delay and they continued to play games. Even after 98% of the membership voted in favour to take protected industrial action, they still continued to play games. Even after the delegates voted unanimously to take industrial action and we then decided to step back for an improved offer, they decided to give us a regurgitated offer that was simply unacceptable. They obviously think we're fools. They've threatened you. They've threatened you to stand you down, to not be paid. And when they didn't get their way, they broke off negotiations. They've taken us to court and to the Fair Work Commission to try and stop you from taking your legal industrial right of protected industrial action. They've tried to get our members to get their friends and their colleagues to break solidarity with you, but it hasn't worked. And then Metro thought that if they offered you a little more money, a little more money that we'd roll over and we'd take it. And the absolute tragic thing, at every step of the way, this government has backed Metro trains in. aggressive legal tactics and tried to ban us as well at the Fair Work Commission by terminating our application for protected industrial action. Shame! Shame! Metro thought that you would roll over and that you would let them strip away your conditions, but they were wrong. You've not rolled over through all of this and I know that you won't. Conditions like the length of the working day, overtime and penalty rates, decent rostering arrangements and disciplinary procedures that are fair. 
Now, Metro go out there and they cry poor and they say that they can't afford to run the system without stripping away your hard-won conditions. That's right, the facts do not support this. Metro is part of a multinational company. They are big enough and they are rich enough to provide decent wages and decent conditions to public transport workers. This is a majority foreign-owned company that has made more than $235 million in profits since it took over the franchise. Its profits have risen more than 45% over the last three years. Last year, more than $10 million in performance payments boosted their profits to a record $65 million. And if it wasn't for the workers here today, Metro wouldn't have received this money. And that's what they need to remember, the workers. <laughs> Metro should be under no illusion that they can just keep dressing up their previous offers and hope that the workers will be conned, because they won't. They've tried it and it didn't work. They tried it and we all saw through it. And today, the people here have made it very clear that we will not allow this company to boost their profits at the expense of the workers. Yeah. And if you don't already know it, it's a reminder that the rail, tram and bus union will be behind the workers every step of the way. Yeah. All right, let's do a big shout out to all the other unions who are here. CFMEU, MUA, CPSU, NTEU, ASU, MUA, who am I? ANMF, and comrades, let's thank the Police Association who are here today with us. All I thought today is pride. Pride in the RTBU's members for not backing down in the face of threats and intimidation by Metro managers. Pride in the RTBU's leadership for not backing down in the face of smear and the fear that's been spread with gumption by Metro and the government. And so much pride, so much pride in the Australian trade union movement for standing shoulder to shoulder with us today, through thick and thin, for standing up and saying, might is not right! Might is not right! I know the spivs of Spring Street, those spivs of Spring Street, I know they're watching today. In their shiny shoes, and their sharp suits, they are watching us today. And I want them to see I want them to see where their vitriolic campaign against our 150-year-old union has got them. It has got them nowhere. I want them to see where their lazy, weak and dishonest attacks on transport workers are getting them. It is getting them nowhere. I want them to see our anger. I want them to see our conviction. Our conviction that you do not blame the workforce for the sins of a few executives, that you do not pillage millions of dollars out of Victoria's transport network to fatten the accounts of a few Hong Kong shareholders. Yeah. Our movement doesn't just fight fire with fire. We fight fire with fire, with blood, with sweat, 
and with guts. And that's what we're doing today. I'll tell you, those, those spits in their shiny shoes and their sharp suits, they need to understand that scrapping with Ponzi lawyers in courtrooms, with HR tryhards in boardrooms, with politicians on their leather couches, that's our movement's entree, our main meal. It's fighting on the streets and fighting on the job like we are today and like we always will when we have to. So those spivs, those spivs, listen to me. Hear my words clearly. You ain't seen nothing yet. So I say to Daniel Andrews, stop being seduced. Stop being seduced. Stop your infidelity. Stop being unfaithful to us. Daniel, don't give in to temptation, comrade. Just say no. Just say no. When Metro caresses you, just say no. When they flirt with you, just say no. When they gently whisper into your ear, Daniel, just say no. Because they are leading you down the garden path, Daniel. It's not too late to repent, Daniel. Push them away. Push them away! <laughs> tell them Dave's story. Tell them. Tell Metro. Demand from Metro that they stop demonising people like him. Demand that money that has been express posted by Metro to Hong Kong to feed their masters $3.6 billion profit, the profit addiction that they have, be repatriated back to Victoria. Because, Daniel, if you do make these demands, we will forgive you. We will forgive you. But we will never forget. Never. We will forgive you for becoming an apologist for Metro. For becoming an apologist for their bloody mindedness. For their arrogance. But we will never forget. Never. We will forgive your government's inflammatory public and private backroom deals and undermining of our leader. But we will never forget. And we will forgive Daniel your government's disgraceful attempt to use the legal system to try and destroy the workplace rights of people like Dave, of people like us. We won't forgive it, but we will never forget. Never. So, the voices of greed and short-sightedness like those at Metro who think they can call all the shots had better settle in for a long, long fight because we are bloody going anywhere. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. You are listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Two weeks ago, the new Australian police force the Australian Border Force, arrived in Melbourne at the main metro rail station, Flinders Street, with a press conference to kick off Operation Fortitude. Operation Fortitude was apparently a joint operation with the Victorian police to take to city streets for three days checking visas. Yes, you were right. How would they know who was a visa holder? 
Yes, you are right. It isn't illegal to walk around Australian streets not carrying your visa if you are a visa holder. So efficiency was not the objective. A pop-up demonstration forced Abbott and the Border Force to abort the operation. But this move by the Border Force onto our city streets and a decision to advertise for 6,000 new employees for the force who are to be trained in firearms and prepared to apply force, all for around $42,000, dressed in a black uniform, is causing some Australian citizens to question the motives of the Abbott federal government. Health professionals working at detention centres have already been concerned about the threat of two years' jail for publicly reporting abuse and negative health outcomes for refugees at the camps. Christine Cummings, a mental health nurse who worked at Christmas Island Detention Centre, is so concerned she spoke to a packed forum organised by Refugee Action Collective which was calling for people to defy the Border Force Act. Christine Cummings. I should really just tell you a little bit about myself. So my name is Christine Cummings. I'm a credentialed mental health nurse. I'm passionate about social justice and about advocating for the vulnerable. And in 2009, I saw a position advertised for a torture and trauma counsellor on Christmas Island and I jumped at the opportunity, uh, firstly for adventure and secondly because I thought it would be a wonderful professional experience. I originally went for one year, um, but I ended up staying just short of five. In January 2010, I joined a small team of torture and trauma counsellors, and then for the last three of those years, I was the team leader of the service. As team leader, I regularly met with the Department of Immigration staff and with IHMS mental health clinicians. I worked with some incredible people during those years, including many Department of Immigration workers. But this was during the time when they were able to case manage and that processing of asylum claims was still being done on the island. We worked collaboratively in those days to ensure that our mutual clients were afforded respect and kindness. But gradually over time, these same workers left when the government policies changed. There was no room for an immigration worker with empathy, so they were soon culled. <coughs> my work on the island then became incredibly challenging. My colleagues and I found ourselves astounded at the level of secrecy and fear we saw cultivated within the new immigration department under the Abbott government. From his very first day in office, the department had a name change to reflect the new oppressive stance. The Department of Immigration and Citizenship became the Department of Immigration and Border Protection. The new Minister for Immigration was Scott Morrison. All workers within the immigration system were directed to refer to asylum seekers as illegals. The term client was replaced with detainee and asylum seekers sent to Nauru or Manus Island were referred to as transferees. Our service steadfastly refused to accept these dehumanising labels and continued to discuss our clients by their names and boat numbers when needed. The complete lack of regard for humanity was never more evident and repugnant. 
for the Torture and Trauma Counselling Service to be a voice for the vulnerable was always contentious because the Department of Immigration is very anxious about advocacy. The way our service advocated was to base discussions on our clinical findings and to leave emotion completely out of the discussion. We would provide recommendations for treatment founded on evidence-based practice. In 2010, 11 and 12, these recommendations were heard and afforded the recognition our clients needed. We still had to fight for good outcomes, but we were respected. We were respected as clinicians and our service was highly regarded. Unfortunately, this all changed dramatically during 2013 and 14. The capacity to advocate for our clients was eventually withdrawn with the Immigration Department citing their privacy policy and client confidentiality at us. We were being shut out and denied access due to a veil of secrecy surrounding the workings of a government department. This secrecy was fear-based, an intense fear that inconsistent and sometimes inhumane treatment within the detention centre would be exposed. Now, with the passing of the Border Force Act, the secrecy provisions enhance fear among the workforce. Some good people have walked away in disgust. Others remain, but with a reduced capacity to ensure accountability and good practice when they work under such restrictions. The new secrecy provisions hinder the ability to scrutinise dubious practices and make advocacy from within illegal. I'm a first-hand witness to the dangers of secrecy. I have met, counselled and got to know many decent people who have become direct victims of this secrecy. Terrible things happen when people conform without question. Terrible things happen when workers are fearful of reprisal. And terrible things happened when I was on Christmas Island. Sometimes I could be vocal and affect change. Gradually over time, my ability to be a voice for the vulnerable was challenged. There were cases like Mary, who was raped within the detention centre on Christmas Island not long after arriving. She reported the rape and gave a police statement to the AFP and IHMS referred her to our service. But months passed and she still hadn't been offered any legal assistance or updates on her case. When questions were asked, she was suddenly sent to Nauru before she could access justice through the legal system. <coughs> there were many of our Tamil clients who were boarded onto charter flights at two in the morning and deported directly to Sri Lanka. Arrested on arrival in Colombo, they were taken into interrogation and imprisonment and there have been unconfirmed reports of men going missing. These were people we were counselling due to their past history of exposure to torture, potentially returned to the same fate. There were cases like the Iranian woman who had her adult son sent to Manus Island without her knowledge with his whereabouts withheld from her for days. When I asked why they hadn't told her, 
an immigration worker simply said, because she might get a little bit upset. Or people like the many unaccompanied minors who were in error were age determined as 18. They were then treated as adults and sent to live with single adult males, placing them at a heightened risk of abuse. And people like the two cases that I know of, but I have no doubt there were many, many more, where clients were so traumatised that the detention environment intensified their symptoms. In both cases, they became floridly psychotic, needing acute psychiatric admission off the island, only to then be returned back to detention on the island against the admitting psychiatrist's advice. I use these examples because they're cases that I spoke up about. I shared information with external agencies at the time that if I was working within the system now would lead me to possible imprisonment. Christine Cummings has started an online petition to speak out against the Border Force, which you will find at www.change.org. And if you want more information, you can contact Refugee Action Collective at www.rac-vic.org. That's www.rac-vic.org. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to you for listening. We have to thank members of the RBTU, including Luba Gogorovic, the State Secretary, and Bob Nanva, the National Secretary, as well as Margaret Sinclair from RAC and Christine Cummings, a member of the Australian Nursing and Midwives Federation, for talking to us today. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. This podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at stick.together at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.